Good morning. Thanks for joining us. I'm Lee Richardson, and we're going to do the show In Your Head. And I'm so excited today because what's in everybody's head right now with Thanksgiving coming up and then Christmas, it's food. You know, it's thinking about the pumpkin pie that Grandma's going to make and thinking about even though we don't like pumpkin pie, we're going to have to eat it. And, you know, eating can be a really difficult thing for a lot of people. And I'm really happy today to have a guest, a very special guest, Stephen Dunn. And Stephen is the originator of the Morgan Foundation that he created in memory of his daughter. And Stephen has an understanding of eating disorders, probably can't be matched by very many people in the United States, both on an emotional level and on an intellectual level. And with that, you know, Stephen, introduce yourself to the crowd. Lee, th thanks, for, for first of all. Yes, uh, I'm uh, Stephen Dunn, uh, based here in da Dallas, of course. I've uh, been an attorney for about 34 years, but more importantly, I'm a dad. Uh, my daughter, Morgan, beginning about her sophomore year in high school, began to show signs of uh, having an eating disorder. So her friends came to us, told us that she was struggling, and the journey began. Uh, we fought this thing for seven years, but finally in October 2016, it took her life. And of course, during the time, we would have her in residential treatment centers and seeing doctors and counselors, and I studied the disease in the brain. And after, she, uh, after the disease took her, really looked into it and is pretty much a full-time, not just an avocation, but a vocation for me. And we're looking into the causes of this disease and what can be done from this point on to fight it on a, a more substantive le level. You know, and you make a really good point, Stephen. It is a disease. Just like, you know, people, when I talk about addiction, Addiction is a brain disease. People are like, no, 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 it's bad choices. Well, there's a bad choice in there too, but it's a brain disease. And, and when we say, when I say eating disorder, what all does that include? Well, the uh, D DSM, the, 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 really the Bible that counselors and psychologists and psychiatrists uses was amended in 2013, and there are five different recognized eating disorders orders in the book right now. The three main ones are anorexia, bulimia, and binge eating disorders. Now most people when they hear eating disorder think of the emaciated white young female and in some circles this disease is referred to as a rich little white girl's disease but nothing could be further from the truth. So give me some statistics okay. on that. Um, uh, there, there, are there are approximately 325 million people who live in the United States. Of those, about 29 million live here in the great state of Texas, about 9%. That is the approximate same number of people who will suffer from an eating disorder in their life in the United States. So just think of every man, woman, and child you see in your office or in the cars or in their office or in their homes in the state of Texas being afflicted with this disease. So does it happen, you mentioned it happened when your daughter was around 17, does it happen then? Does it, can it happen any time in life? It can happen any time in life, and the more we learn about the disease, the more we see signs even at an earlier age. 
as young as five years old and up. And it can go through till the end of our life, 50s, 60s, 70s year olds. There is a study in the UK that came out a few years ago indicating that women who go through divorce in their 40s and up have a higher percentage of eating disorders than other women in their population. So it affects everyone. It doesn't discriminate because of age or race or gender or sexual orientation at all. In fact, most people don't know the most common eating disorder by far is binge eating disorder. Uh, Bulimia is after that and anorexia is after that. And the statistics are also showing us that binge eating disorder and bulimia are just as prevalent in the Hispanic and African American communities as anorexia is in the Anglo community. And on top of that, there is a higher percentage still in the LBGTQ communities as well. And that is a community that is being severely overlooked. You're right about that on many different levels. But it sounds like an eating disorder doesn't discriminate. It, it can find a home in anybody. And you know, when you think about it, because I know when people talk about eating disorders and you go into residential treatment programs, a lot of what you do there is psychotherapy. And I'm a psychotherapist, so I value that. I think it's important. But I think with the disease, you know, there's a, there's a deeper root. And when I think about a computer, every, everybody knows a computer, it runs everything. A computer's got hardware and software. And the hardware, that's the infrastructure in that computer. That's what everything else runs off of. And then you have the software, and that's those nice, fancy applications that make us do all this cool stuff. But when I think about the body, the brain, and the body, the brain, that's the hardware. The way those neurons and dendrites are wiring and firing, the way they're sharing information, the coherence, the timing, all of that's what runs the mind, the software. Until you get the hardware right, the software's not going to work. And that's one of the things that you made a really good point of in a presentation I heard you do. And that was how important the, the role the brain plays in it. Absolutely. We have a brilliant research doctor here in town at UT Southwestern. Her name is Dr. Carrie McAdams. And uh, Carrie is fond of saying the, the disease is not about the food, but it is about the food. If you don't eat to nourish the brain, to get the brain operating as it needs to, you can have all the counseling on the face of the earth, but the message is not going to be absorbed. Uh, it's it's uh, equated to, it's if you're talking to someone, let's say, and you have a piece of paper that's being crinkled right next to your ear, you're going to hear the words, but they're going to be filtered through this noise in the foreground that takes your attention away. When a person has an eating disorder and it has a person in its grip, the brain can't process, so it's like they're hearing the counseling, the messaging through 
filters that take away its effectiveness. And you know, in my world, that noise that you're talking about, that noise is because the brain is in a dysregulated state. If the brain's not sharing information, and it doesn't matter if it's sharing too much or not enough, it's dysregulated and it can't process effectively and efficiently. You know, or, or the noise could be too much fast wave. Too much fast wave can make you really anxious or it can be too much slow wave, which puts you into a brain fog. But in any of those states, that brain can't really hear and respond to the message. You know, the brain, everything we do, how well we do it or don't do it, depends on how that brain's working. Absolutely. And our doctors know or believe that there are certain parts of the brain that are specifically involved with a person who's really struggling with this disease. And those parts of the brain process the feelings and thoughts in different ways depending on the type of eating disorder you have. So, for example, one of the first parts of the brain they believe in and are involved is the insula. Mm -hmm. The insula is the type, uh, it's the part of the brain that processes uh, if you're hungry or or not, and what you do with those thoughts. So, for example, and a person who's suffering from anorexia, that part of the brain will have diminished activity. The thought is, oh, I'm really not as hungry as uh, most people would think I am, so I'll be fine. A person with bulimia and binge eating disorder, it's the exact opposite. I'm more hungry. And then that brings on, of course, the, the, the second part of the brain that most doctors believe is involved, and that's the anter anterior cingulate cor cortex. And, of course, that's the part of the brain that processes the feelings, uh, uh, the reward from food. For example, I'm looking at this delicious roasted turkey here, and it's going to taste so good. And, again, a person suffering from anorexia that part of the brain is going to be less developed and less active. The old, well, I really don't care what it's going to taste like. I, I don't need this. Whereas, again, the, the person suffering from bulimia is going to say, that's really good. I can't wait to have more of that. It's going to taste fabulous. Well, you know, in that cingulate, right down the middle of your head, very functional part of your brain. Because the brain gets information two ways. You see it or you hear it. All of that information goes to the back of the brain. And then it has to be processed. So that cingulate is what takes it to the front of the brain. And if that brain is dysregulated or that brain is underdeveloped and not working properly, either that loop doesn't, oh, that's going to be good, that's going to be really good. That loop doesn't get going. Or once that loop starts, Oh my gosh, I need more. I need more of that. I really have to eat another one of those. Once that loop stops with the binge eating, you can't stop it. Right. It's not a choice. It's it's a dysregulated brain. Very much so. And that brings up, you know, the the dorsal dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex as I understand it is that part of the brain that enables a person to have self-control. In the anorexic, it's stronger with them. I've proven I don't need this food, so I might take a few bites, and that's it. And that is going to just be the way it is. With a person from bulimia or binge 
eating disorder as we know, there's a less control. It tastes so good. It's fulfilling not only these hunger pangs but other aspects. I, I want more and more and more. And as you said, that loop just goes on and on and on. It does. And the prefrontal cortex, that's the very last part of the brain that gets developed. That's not fully developed until you're in your mid to late 20s. So yes. just when you're 21, you're, you're certainly more vulnerable for impulsivity, thinking through, making good decisions, all of that. That's just because your brain's not fully developed. And our doctors, there are, there are so many research reports out there that indicate if you can get a person to their mid-20s with this disease, the likelihood of recovery dramatically improves at that point. Because as you, as you just said, the brain isn't fully developed until then, and part that's why uh, youngsters can't rent cars at the airport or things there like that. There are some good like reasons that. for that. Absolutely. And um, if we can get the people suffering from this disease to their mid-twenties and on, the statistics show the chances of recovery dramatically improve. Well, you know, that's a good point because I think a lot of my experience with people with eating disorders has been more from an emotional eating standpoint, and that's linked to anxiety or depression. And a lot of that, you know, is is what's going on in the brain. Well, of course it is. It's exactly what's going on in the brain as well. But, you know, this is all networks and hubs up here. There's not just one part of the brain, and you mentioned the insula and the um, amygdala. Yes. Both mm. of those are down deep in the brain, down in that subconscious. And so a lot, up until, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't know that we could train that part of the brain. And now we know that we can. And there are people all across the United States that do Loretta, whole brain training. And that is something that can that is extremely effective for creating regulation in the brain. And that's what the brain needs just to be able to think through that. You know what? The brain only weighs three pounds. It's this little thing. But it utilizes like 60 to 80% of the glucose that we get from our food. Right. So if we're not feeding that brain, how's that brain going to work for us? Absolutely. And I also believe as well that pharmaceutical drugs is not the answer. I, you know, we understand that in some circumstances they have a place, but I do not believe this is something where we can throw repeated drugs at it. That's not going to solve the problem, and in fact, we don't know what the long-term effects will be. Um, so there are some other type of treatments out there uh, involving a, a magnetic stimulus stimulus to those parts of the brain. Mm -hmm. uh, and now uh, there's this poly polychromatic light ther therapy that is out there as mm -hmm. well that shows some pro promise too. But we're going to need so much more research on this. And you know, I know there are a number of brilliant doctors throughout the United States who are beginning to collaborate more mm -hmm. to come up with not only an in-depth study of these aspects of, of the brain, but in a way that they can share, they can pool their resources and share this 
just to give more hope. Well, you know, and, and that's what I think a lot of times people, we lose hope. And as a mom or a friend or a sibling, I, see, I can see my friend is struggling, but I don't know what I'm looking for, you know, and I don't know how to help. What are some warning signs that people can look for? Oh, there are just a number of them, and so many of them are very su- subtle. Let's say if your child or loved one has, has always been outgoing and have embraced friends and you know, social events, that sort of thing, you may notice they start to isolate themselves. They're not as outgoing. They're not as gregarious. Uh, there are more mood swings. Um, whereas if your child before would have come into uh, the living room and watched movies with you or had friends over, you notice the friends don't come around as often as they have. They spend more time, and I know this will be a tough one because kids are on their smartphones all, all the time, but they isolate, isolate themselves in their room away from everything. You notice that after they eat, they immediately excuse themselves and go to the bathroom. Um, you've got to really watch for As the disease develops, it could get to a point where their glands up here start to swell. The repeated binging and pur- purging results in those glands becoming inflamed and they swell up some. Uh, you might notice their, their teeth start to become a little bit more discol- discolored. Um, there's just more of a, they can be more lethar- lethargic as well. It's really important that people understand that eating disorders can only exist in isolation. You've got to bring it out of the dark and expose it before it can be treat, treated. Well, are there resources out there for people that, you know, that think, well, maybe, I, maybe my sister or maybe my, my friend needs some help, but you certainly can't go up to somebody and say, I don't think you eat enough, or when's the last time you ate, because that puts a, lever, a whole layer of stress in there that just makes it worse. Absolutely. I know there are a number of parents throughout the United States that I can um, have people get in touch with, you know, just to, not just to talk, not for just for them to talk about their exper- experiences, but also to get them to trained counselors and doctors. Uh, you know, of course, I'd be more than happy to talk to anyone at all. And then we have this great group in Washington, D.C. called the Academy for Eating Disorders. You can find them on the web, and I think their website is uh, academyforeatingdisorders.org. And they have lists of counselors and doctors and treatment people on their website that you can get in touch with. Also, you know, as we know, Thanksgiving is... Coming up, and for a person with an eating disorder, that day is just can be so incredibly hard. Um, there are a number of things that we can do, but if, if if a person who is suffering is in a really bad place and they don't have a friend they can talk to at that very moment, there is a crisis text line that they can contact from their phone, and all all you have to do 
is type HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741 on your phone. So all you have to do is type HOME to 741-741. That's correct. And the first two messages you get are automatic. Made ones one confirming you wanted to get in touch with them, and then two asking for you to tell them a little bit more. And in a few minutes after that, a trained vo- volunteer will be communicating with you, and it can it can be confidential. You don't have to give your n- name. You've got just a resource here that you can use to get immediate help at that time and I strongly urge and it's not just for eating disorders as well any person who is struggling with any type of mental illness or self-harming thoughts reach out to these folks you you know there are people out, out there who care and only want to help and it's just right it's here. right there at your fingertips absolutely how, and that's one thing we all know how to do we all know how to text and we, and we do that very well. Uh, yeah, except mine is more like this instead, <laughs> with thumbs flying, of course. But but it's, you still know how to do it. Yes, I do, absolutely. You know, so w- as we move forward to the holidays, because, gosh, we've got Thanksgiving, and then we've got Christmas, and then we've got the cookie bakes, and, you know, and then after that we've got New Year's, and we're going to have to make all these New Year's resolutions to kind of focus on undoing the bad that we did during the holiday season, that's stressful. Absolutely. And for moms and dads, for uh, significant others and spouses whose loved ones are suffering from this disease, there are just some things you you can can do and should not do. Can you share those with us? Absolutely. When, if you know your child or loved one is struggling, de-emphasize the food. It's so easy to say, oh, my gosh, the pumpkin pie is so good and the Thanksgiving is fabulous and have more and you can't wait and everything sounds, smells so good. And then that morphs into, oh, my, you look thin or you're not eating well. And the more you talk about the food, the more you ingrain those thoughts in their head. You get that singulate going. Absolutely. I strongly recommend it. Instead, find other things to talk about. Play games. You know, with board games still exist, as I mm-hmm. understand it. You know, involve your loved one in something that's not food-related. Re- um, like I said, any type of board game or things you can do to, to have fun, to take the focus away from the food, and to emphasize the love and companionship and strength of the bonds you do have. Because that's what makes holidays important. It's the love. It's, It's sharing the love. You know, in those memories, remember we played, we tossed a football in the front yard. We took that long walk. Absolutely. We, you know, that's what makes things special. Absolutely. And then if you're struggling <clears throat> with this disease on those days, have have a friend, a safe friend that you can talk to. Ideally, it'd be great if they were with you on that day. But if not, just tell them you, you may be sending them a text because you're struggling. You, you, you want help. You need a voice just to talk to. Have you know, a safe friend. If you can't have that, then, you know, that crisis text line is there 
And so just, I think the most important thing when you're suffering from this disease is no, you are not alone. You're never alone. There are those who have walked the, this path before you. Unfortunately, there will be those who walk after you as well. But you're not alone at all. And there are people out there who understand and can and will help you. And I think, you know, it's, it's most important to know that because up until... Ten years ago, we didn't talk about anxiety, we didn't talk about depression, we didn't talk about eating disorders, you know, but we're beginning to understand the importance of mental health. We're so concerned with our physical health, you know, oh, I've got to exercise because I don't want to have a heart attack. Oh, I've got to watch my sugars because I don't my insulin and diabetes. But I think what we all need to think about is, oh, we need to pay attention to how we're feeling on an emotional level, on a cognitive level because our mental health is just as important as our physical health. And if you need help, it's okay to stand up and say, I need help. And there are lots of people out there that will help you. And I know you mentioned to me before we started talking that any parent or friend or sibling or individual that felt like they needed to contact someone that has personally lived through it, that you would, your very welcome to receiving emails? Absolutely. The, my email address is Stephen with a V at the morganfoundation.org. Or you can also find me on Facebook. Reach out to me on there. I'll accept your friendship request and we can uh, Facebook message live. You know, I've done that a number of times or we can you know, text or talk, whatever it takes. If we can save lives through just love and communicating and talking, then we absolutely will. Absolutely. You know, and as we move forward, um, stay in touch with the Brain Performance Center Facebook page because we're going to have a couple more podcasts that, that deal with healthy eating and just having a healthy relationship with food because we need it. We desperately need it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being part of the show today. And as Stephen mentioned, you can find the Morgan Foundation online. You can find the Morgan Foundation on Facebook. So I encourage you to tap in, to look at those resources that are out there. And if you have a friend or a sister or a son or a daughter that needs help, please let them know that it's okay to ask for help and that there are lots of people out there that want to help.